This is Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is David Piccolomini on Lost and Rewound. Time to get embarrassed with us. Everywhere RFB related land. Yeah. Because do, do people think of themselves as coming from land still? Is that a thing? Or worlds, galaxies, World. dimensions. Yeah, dimensions. Wherever, wherever you are coming from and wherever you are listening. Welcome. Welcome. We are finally in season five of Radio Free Brooklyn and we are lost and rewound. The show about old audio artifacts from all, the yesteryears. All the oldest audio that you got. That's what we play for you. We, 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 we dig it out of the coffers. They call me Alon. My name is Jimmy. We are in our third season, actually, with Radio Free Broken, which is super exciting. Well surpassing the days of Alon Danziger's Danziger Zone from the middle school years. Yes. <laughs> well, we can only hope. We can only hope. I wonder at what point we're going to actually have more audio. Do we have more hours in yet? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you need to measure. I, I, I definitely have to measure. We want to just make a quick reminder that we have gotten here to season five, not because of great talent, but because of all of your kind contributions. Uh, they have helped us further along in our journey, and we are now a nonprofit, a five hundred one c three status. All of your donations to Radio Free Brooklyn are, um, you know, they're charitable contributions, tax deductible, baby. <laughs> Yes, again, so we are brought to you by viewers, or rather listeners like you. But they're also viewing. They're viewing the the radio. (laughs) We hope we're viewing. They're looking at their screen or an image, you know, like just a small photograph of a loved one while they listen. (laughs) So if you want to contribute to the cause of Freeform Community Radio, giving you everything, literally, I mean, honestly, everything under the sun, especially with all the new programming that RFB's got going on this season, uh, you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. Donate a dollar. $2, $3, $2, $3, or, or, or $10, a Hamilton, an Alexander Hamilton, all of it, or radio, anything, anything at all. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. call. Good call, brother. RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Slash pledge. Or, or you can go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash L-A-R to donate directly to the show. You'd be a sponsor, and you can donate any money or money that you wish to, because we always will be happy to have you on our side. We'll like we'll put your face like a NASCAR car, and you'll your face will be like on the on the hood. Your your. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen. Of <laughs> a jacket embroidered with the names of all the companies. With your funny little members only jacket. <laughs> anyway, we got a lot to get through this episode, so let's get started. We have a very special guest in the studio. His 
name is Tom Tenney, and he runs Radio Free Brooklyn. Please welcome the Radio the God Free fa- Brooklyn. The godfather of the, Radio the, Free the Brooklyn. The dawn of Radio Free Brooklyn, <laughs> Tom Tenney. Welcome. Dawn. Thank you. Thank you, Elon. Thank you, Jimmy the Stick. <laughs> Jimmy the Stick. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, hope, I hope I can bring that name and, and keep it with me for my entire life. <laughs> For those of you not familiar with uh, me as Jimmy the Stick, I help to um, put soundproofing on the ceiling, Tom. Yes. And uh, I'm, of course, I was the short guy, <laughs> and I was the third man, and I was the guy that was holding the stick, basically, Jimmy the Stick. You did a hell of a job. You, you basically held up the ceiling while we, uh, while we screwed it in. Yes. So um, uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at my <laughs> I'm looking at my fine handiwork here. It is really, really stunning. I mean, it's, yeah, you try using a cock gun upside down. <laughs> well, you know, it's my first it's my first ceiling, yeah. so I'm feeling good about it. <laughs> Do you have a lot of handiwork in your portfolio, Tom? Me? No, 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 no. I, I you're talking to me? I, I'm, not, I'm talking to you. Uh, I know Jimmy's not always. No, I am the least activity. I am the least handy guy you could possibly meet except when it comes to building studios and stuff then then i'm then i'm okay but um but like anything that has to do with like drywall or nails or measuring or that kind of shit really really not so good it's one of those things where i i hope we feel confident in the ceiling because it's above our (laughs) well right right and yeah yeah exactly i mean i'm confident that it's gonna not gonna fall on us i'm just not confident that the soundproofing is exactly where we need it to be but whatever it's 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 better than it was before that's the important thing how long ago did you set your sights on the property of which radio free brooklyn now lives in well, actually, this used to those longtime listeners of Radio Free Brooklyn will know that upstairs used to be a bike shop, and that bike shop was owned for eight years by a good friend of mine and Rob's also, who is the other co-founder of Radio Free Brooklyn, and we've known her for years. And I happen to live across the street, so when we were thinking about places to go, I was like, "Well, maybe uh, KT has some space down in her basement," and it so happens that she had this office she hadn't been using, so we struck a deal, and here we are. I know that we started while it was still a bike shop in its last uh, months, I suppose, and uh, I will admit that the foundation, the construct has definitely improved over the last year, just even the la- over the last year, much less, I guess. Oh, how we've grown. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the upstairs has been totally renovated, and now it's a record store, and the basement is about to be renovated also, so... Exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting times. So we have like a whole workshop slash performance space slash green room that's coming uh, to the, the 400 square foot of the basement that is not the studio. So that's going to be fun. What radio work were you involved in pre-Radio Free Brooklyn? Well, I did most of my grad work was focusing on radio and sound. And I did a radio show at B-Box Radio for a little while uh, called Radio RMX. And, uh, you know, that's really it, you know, in terms of like the practical work I've done in radio, but I've been interested in it for a long time, ever since I was a really small kid. And when I lived in Chicago, I used to book a comedy club, the Chicago Improv out there. And we used to go over to the Loop FM, which was in the John Hancock Tower after the late night shows with comedians. And we used to just, you know, hang out on these, uh, on these radio sh- these late night radio shows. And it was the best fun in the world. How long were you doing that? That was in the mid-90s. So I started doing that in 93, and I uh, did that until the improv closed in ni- late 95, and then I moved to back to New York in 97. 
moving to New York in 1997, the radio climate there was obviously a lot more terrestrially driven. Sure. Uh, the digital format didn't really come into play until probably the aughts. Uh, right. Where where was your head at when you saw the tide changing? Well, I was really excited by that first wave of podcasting that came along. I thought there was really a lot of potential in it. People don't realize how much work this is, right? Or even just doing a, w- a weekly podcast, even if you're just doing one podcast, never mind like 70 shows. <laughs> um, yes. what, what happened was, you know, you got all these people who were doing these really creative things for a minute and then the landscape became littered with these abandoned podcasts. I mean, you can still go on iTunes now and find podcasts that started in 2003, you know, and had three episodes and then the person who did it just gave up. Absolutely. I feel like that's the problem with the creative climate in a lot of instances. That people, um, sure. they don't see the future in it or they don't see the, the purpose in their mind. And they, they really want to try, but then they don't, they don't know yeah, where to go. But, but also, I mean, back then it was really much more of a personal endeavor. And now it's become like there are really successful podcasts now. And you could actually look at it as a thing to do with your life. You know, I mean, you could potentially make money at it. If you look at podcasts, I mean, not even serial and shit that's produced by NPR, but, you know, stuff like WTF with Mark Marin and friends of mine, Keith and Hemda, created a podcast called Keith and the Girl, and they have been doing it now for 15 years. They do it every day, every, every day. single <laughs> stinking day. Our friend Hannah Calgar interns with them, I think. Yeah, actually. and and, wow. and it's just grown. It's, I mean, that's that's their life now. That's what they do. And they make money on it, and they do tours, and they sell merchandise, and they have people around the world who get Keith and the Girl tattoos. It's yeah. crazy. I have a friend of mine, yeah. and she her job is social media, and she inspires people with her life and just writes about what she does every day. Yeah. And it's – the I mean, again, like there's all these different avenues. You can be very successful, and you can be creative at the same time. Yeah. So I, so I think that that changes the landscape significantly when there is actually an opportunity to – make a living doing it even even if it might not be likely it's still you know there's still a chance that that could happen so i think more people are starting it and staying with it now when was your first time stepping foot into a radio station oh my goodness that's a good question i i remember visiting the wbcn studios in boston uh back in you know this would have had to been the late 70s probably that was probably the first time my sister went to umass amherst and a friend of hers did a radio show there and i went when he was on the air, and I brought a couple of cassettes with me. And uh, I remember he played Richard Hell and the Voidoids for the first time in Northampton from my cassette, and that was probably 1981, I'm guessing, something like that. That is so cool. When you were younger and you would listen to the radio before you stepped foot into a radio station, was there that thrill of even just like staying home and listening to the request hour and just calling obsessively? You know, I n- was never really a caller, I have to say. Hmm. I was a lurker, a listener, uh, but I listened fanatically. I was one of these kids who, you know, I listened to Top 40 radio when I was a younger kid, like in elementary school. And I was like one of these kids who would sneak the radio under my pillow to listen to it while I was going to sleep and hope my mom didn't hear it. Hmm. I actually, this is sort of, this is embarrassing. Can I tell weirdly embarrassing sort of sexual we, stories here? <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Get, we time to get embarrassed with us? <laughs> That's the whole point. So the first time I ever masturbated, I was listening to the radio. <laughs> sure. It's a very, As so, you do. Yeah, which, so that was, it was destiny that you would I, create a radio I, station. I think, that, I, think there's, I think there's some kind of association that happens, you know what I mean? That it got, it got fused with sexuality in my adolescence. Yeah, and, man. Uh, no, that is those tunes, man. It was, it was your, well, what, it was no, but you know what? It was talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's even so, better. That's much yeah. better. <laughs> who, who was the talk radio host? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. It was Larry Glick. And you masturbated. <laughs> to I wasn't Larry, okay. So hold on. Let's, let's let's back up. I wasn't masturbating to wild, the radio station. Wild. I was masturbating while the radio right. was playing. Yes. And uh, so Larry Glick was his talk show host. I want to say WBZ or WEEI or like one of those kind of news radio stations in Boston. Okay. While I was not a caller, I loved call-in shows. I loved hearing people sort of call in in real time, and talk about stuff. You know, I was probably. I don't know. How old are you when you first masturbate? Like 11, 12, something like that? Sure. And classic, I, I, classic first I didn't know. I don't even think I even knew what I was doing or what was going to happen at the end of that. Um, it's always a magical and, and, and moment so, right, that happens so, by surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so it was weird. Yeah, this whole like weird, confusing, exciting landmark moment in my life just happened to be while the radio was playing. But it was the, for that reason it was burned in your, into your exactly, memory. Exactly, yeah. Am I under the impression that you grew up in Boston? I don't actually know if I know where you grew up. I, I do. I, I rarely admit it. But I, <laughs> but, but I have to when I you know sort of talk about my childhood and things that happened in Boston. Yeah. So, so, you, so, it's, it's, so the cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. But it's because yeah. of the whole – it's just the whole Boston, New York thing. Is that the reason? It kind of, I or mean, it's, 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 more, it's more the classic that, shame of being from Boston. It's more that I just kind of had a <laughs> shitty childhood. Not really a okay. shitty childhood, but I was one of those didn't fit in kids, like in a big way. And I could not, and, and New York in high school was a place I always used to escape to. And, and in fact, I in my band in high school, I wrote a song called Free to Be in NYC. And the day after I graduated from high school, I was on a train to New York. Yes, New York calls to people, and I think it's yeah. that's the great story of New York is that so many people that have said, you know what, one day I'm going to get away from all this shit, yeah, and I'm going to go to New York, and it's it's all going to be there for me, and it's all going to change. Right, exactly. I don't know if it still has, but New York had that mystique of being able to be totally anonymous and totally do your own thing, and nobody gave a shit. You restart. You, you, yeah. you begin again, and you're exactly right. People value you. Completely based on what you bring to the table. They don't care where you're from. Yeah, exactly. I'm lucky to be the offspring of folks from New York City. And incidentally, I didn't really get a chance to spend much time in the city when I was younger because my dad hates the city. Still to this day, he loathes it for the most part. I think he entertains it because his children ended up living there as adults. But my mother is, of the two of them, much more inclined to come to the city she would have stayed i mean how many hours away so i always had that is, connection is woodstock actually drive two hours it's that's, about 100 that's where miles. that's where your parents live in woodstock correct oh, okay yeah but, that's a ways that's... there are so many people i know who live so close that never come to the city i get tourists that tell me that they live an hour away well, like well look i mean i live in, i live in brooklyn and i don't even go to manhattan anymore you know i mean it's, but you're still you don't enjoying have to, you don't need to. no right exactly right exactly there's no reason to go to manhattan anymore it's just a, a big like corporate mall with douchey people who <laughs> no seriously i mean it's like i understand going to manhattan if you you know if if you work there that's but, the reason. But, 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 but all yeah. the cultures moved out to brooklyn I so well i would absolutely i would absolutely agree it's funny because being in North Brooklyn now, Queens is so close, but I barely ever go there. Right, but the, Brooklyn—it's—it's it's so potent that the scene is so great right now. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, you know, Queens is a very—you know—like Astoria is a very, very distinct scene, and I imagine that people who live in Astoria may never leave Astoria, like the same way that I don't leave Brooklyn. I mean, or didn't... even Bushwick all that much. <laughs> yeah, you know? the same. When yeah. did you move to Bushwick? 2009. I lived in uh, Fort Greene for a couple years before that, and then I lived in Prospect Heights for. 
eight years. Would you say that Bushwick in 2017 is the best living situation uh, in terms of the neighborhood that you felt even before you moved? I, 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 I love my neighborhood. And, and honestly, like when I first moved here, I moved to Broadway and Willoughby. So which I mean, there are even <laughs> sections of Bushwick which are really different from each other. Absolutely. You, you Bushwick's know? a really so, big neighborhood. It's huge. And so like that Myrtle Broadway area, like right off Broadway, is a very has a very different feel from this area over here, which Absolutely. is central into DeKalb. And uh, I think that, that slowly they're all kind of like melding together a little bit. But it was really like when I first moved there in 2009, it was, uh, it was still a little bit the Wild West out, out there. It's, you know? I mean, I mentioned to people from the old days that I live over here that, I, that still have never come to North Brooklyn before. Yeah. And they, they can't believe it the same way. They're like, wow, it's like murder town over there. I'm like, uh, not anymore, man. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to dive into, you guessed it, clips from our esteemed guest for this week, the Tom man. Tenney. Yay. The man. <laughs> Here on Lost and Rewound, Radio Freebird. dive into this i wanted to ask you tom when i pitched this idea to you yeah and i've made it clear that i received a notification from you and rob about being green lighted for the show on april 1st <laughs> april <laughs> day of last year and it was late at night and i could have sworn that i was losing my mind that night and then i received this email from you but when you saw this pitch yeah what went through your mind about the whole concept of listening to old audio and talking about it well, honestly, I mean, it's something that really appealed to my sensibilities. Um, I used to, you may or may not know, uh, be the director of an of a annual festival called the Remixed Media Festival. I'm not familiar with this. You know, it was about remix in music, but then also in, um, you know, in all kinds of art, whether it's performance or painting or video or whatever. I mean, so we would have these, you know, it started as a, a whole one whole day festival and then it you know, at four years later, it was like a three whole day festival uh, of these artists kind of meeting and sharing these works. And the stuff that was most intriguing to me, to be honest with you, was stuff that was based on found objects. There is a sort of that found art aspect of this show, even though it's not technically really found because it's stuff that people owned or made a long time ago. But still, there's something that to me is really, you know, intriguing about that and how these kinds of things can spark memories and how they can instigate an interesting conversation about yourself based on this kind of artifact from the past. Which brings us this week to the submissions that you provided to our show. Yeah. In that same kind of wheelhouse, you have these tapes from your childhood, which invoke amazing memories uh, for you. For me, I'm listening to this without context, and that's perfect because that's what we're here for. We're here to get that context from you and understand a little bit about the introverted family life that you led. How old are you compared to your sisters? You have two older sisters, right? We're, we're, yes. So these were made in 1968 and 1969, so I would have been three and four years old. And my sisters are three and five years older than me. 
So, you know, they would have been, um, you know, three and four. So they would have been, you know, five and uh, five and eight. Wait, no, six and eight. <laughs> I cannot do simple math. <laughs> it's not just me. It's not <laughs> just it's, me. It's six and eight in the first and then seven and nine in the uh, in the second one. So we're all under 10 years old. And I am I'm basically still like a toddler still at this point. The, That's the, wild. Wait, what was the format they recorded this on? On, on cassette tape. On cassette so, tape? so my dad, you know, when my, my parents split up when I was two and a half. And my dad sent us a tape recorder so that we could make tapes and send them to him because I couldn't write <laughs> at that point. And he was really important to him that his children kind of stay in his life. So, you know, we did it that way. Let's dive in and see what we can uncover from the first one from 1968. Okay. What do I say? The tape, the very nice tape recorder that you sent me for my birthday i will i will um share it um with tommy and susie very much it was very nice to hear your voice again because i had forgotten a little how you sounded I want to know where you are going to be moving because um, I want to know where to send the letters to you and what else. If we ever want to come to visit you, we will know the way to come. If anyone come to buy the house, um, if somebody has, please write soon and tell me. I heard that Holly and Gay have moved, and if any other children have moved, in, moved into their house yet. I got two of the same kind of Ranger Ricks, um, twice. I mean, well, you see, once I got, um, two of the Ranger Ricks, and it happened again. So I've got four all mixed up. I don't have four of the same kind, but I just, um... You see, have two of one picture and two of the other, so I've got four, but they aren't just alike. They just don't, two are one same and two are the other same. I am getting Rangerwick in Westfield, and you're sending Rangerwick too. Mama Tenny, for my birthday, sent me, um... Some what pants? A dress with shorts. Yeah, but tights, kind. Oh, um, Kind of tights, you were saying. Patty tights. Ah, uh, some, uh, just a pair of tights. Sent, she sent me a pair of tights that has little holes, sort of like fishnets, but, but they aren't really fishnets because, um, 
Fishnets have bigger holes, but they are sort of like fishnets, and we call them fishnets. She sent me a doll. It's very pretty. It has a little bonnet, and it has a flat kind of hair, but dumb. And she sent me a bracelet and then this dress. It's reversible, and um, it has shorts that goes with it, but the shorts are longer than the dress. And I like them all very much. And what? I was going to tell him if he... You could totally hear your mother whispering into... Oh, is yeah. this Sue or the other sister? This is Leslie. So Leslie. This, is, this is the middle sister, right? She's three years older than me, who was strutting around apparently in fishnets when she was six <laughs> years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's what really cracked me up was... When she was trying to explain that she had two double copies of Ranger Ray. Oh, yeah. By the way, Dad, you sent me something that I already have. <laughs> <laughs> she was explaining it like you explain numbers a lot. But, but, but that's the thing. is like she didn't, she didn't get that it was like it was awkward to say that you gave me a present that I already have. She was just like, oh, now I have two. And it's crazy. It's, you know, <laughs> what am like, I going to do with all these Ranger Rays? I'll keep it yeah. until I'm older and sell them at auction. They'll yeah. be worth millions. <laughs> I definitely got Ranger Ricks when I was a kid. Did it, does it still exist? I, I don't know. And in fact, that was the one thing that I thought of when I was on my way over here. I was like, oh, I should Google Ranger Rick because I know that I didn't know if you're gonna, you were going to actually play that part of the tape. But it's one of the things that I remembered, and I was going to Google it and see if it's still like a thing. Because wasn't Ranger Ranger Rick was like a raccoon, wasn't he? Yeah, I want to say he was a raccoon. Yeah, um, and he had a, he had a magazine that was basically like sort of like a kind of like a Nat Geo for kids. Absolutely, thing. and there yeah. were some games and like crossword puzzles and some facts and right, right, stuff right, like right, that. right. It was sort of a sciency kind of kids magazine. I remember enjoying getting the things. I remember them being fun as a kid. So. Yeah, I, I didn't get them. My sisters got them. Uh, apparently, I wasn't interested in Ranger Rick, or 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 maybe we just were getting so many. That, <laughs> <laughs> you said, you know <laughs> what? She got two <laughs> subscriptions. We yeah, should, you know, we, we'll, we'll share. Yeah, yeah. Where did your dad move to? Uh, he moved to, I I think he moved to Boston, and. Um, Wait, so wait, where where were you living at? So this? okay, so when my parents split up, we were all living in Portland, Maine. Oh, okay. And my dad moved to Boston and when my mom took us, she moved back with her parents. So we lived with my grandparents for a short time in Westfield, New York, and then we got our own place also in Westfield, New York. Uh, and then after that, we moved back to Boston because when I was like five, because my mom wanted her, you know, she wanted her kids to be around their dad. Westfield, New York sounds central New York. No, wrong. it's way, 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 way western. It's uh, it's on Lake Erie, and it's like about half an hour from Erie, Pennsylvania. The one we heard before, uh, there, that was 1968, and then the second one's 1969. You've already known where he lives at this time, but now you're keeping the tradition of sending him these tapes so that he knows uh, what's going on with his kids. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I and I don't know how many we sent, but these were when when my dad passed away in 2002. These were the only two that I found. So we may have sent more. I, I don't know, but maybe it was a, a once-a-year thing. Obviously, I was too young to really remember how that went, and I don't think my mom really remembers at this point either. Um, yeah, it was a while ago. Exactly. But, 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 yeah, I mean, and, and also I think that, you know, we were getting close to the time when we were going to be moving to Boston, so that's why I think, I think stop in 69. Another thing that struck me about that clip was that 
please tell us where you're going so that if we want to come visit you, you we know how to get there. It's like, I mean, uh, it's, there's something that's really heartbreaking about that. It you was, know? Um, and, I was pulling out my heartstrings listening to yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I mean, we were little kids and we were dealing with a lot at that, you know, and it's, and it's, when I listen to these, I'm like, holy shit, we were dealing with, you know, our parents splitting up and, and like, moving around a and, lot and, and moving around and like not remembering what, what our dad sounded like. And I mean, it's, for kids are so resilient that they just, they do it but it's like wow that's a lot man yeah what's great about it that you can see is how kids don't focus on that they're immediately focusing on the immediate what's right in front of them she's thinking about the gifts that she's got when yeah when she's having what is a really difficult emotional situation just i was even thinking with the mother in the background i'm sure that when he listened to this Probably hearing his his ex wife in yeah. the background was difficult for him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh oh, oh oh sure. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even imagine what. I mean, you know, it's interesting because I've never thought of it from that perspective, from the perspective of what my dad felt listening to these, and that must have been yeah, it must have been really hard for him too. Even up to the day he died, I mean, he told me that that day that my mom took us. And he stood on this porch crying as we drove away. He said that was the most difficult day of his life. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, these tapes had to have been just murder for him. I'm sure he absolutely loved getting them. But at the same time, I'm sure they were very difficult. With all modern technology, this sort of situation wouldn't really happen again. You know, you'd have Skype or uh, Facebook, just, you, and know. Like, you know, all this shit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't this this total absence. And I mean, it was interesting because you were using the technology that was there. And but it was it was that same thing of like right. the, the fact that you could you could deliver this thing to him. And he could have the opportunity to listen to you 100 years before that. Right. If he was a couple states over, you wouldn't, yeah. you just wouldn't see him or hear from him. Maybe he could write you a letter and you could try to gain something out of that. But Yeah, exactly. And I think that one of the reasons we did tapes is, is tapes, you know, they, they were sort of a, you know, a newer technology then than they are now, obviously. But, um, and, but I think that they provided a presence that letters couldn't provide. You know, there is something about hearing somebody and sort of imagining that they were talking to you the same way that social media now provides even kind of more of a presence in a way. But it's sometimes too much. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to be this present in your life. Go. I don't want to see that picture of your food. I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you going to take the picture in your mouth when it's halfway chewed? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, I think. yeah. I wanted to give more time for these clips because sure. there, there is more of 1969, including, I believe, what is Tommy Tenney's voice. Yeah, Tommy. Little, little Tommy. Yeah. Let's do this. Uh, now? Yeah. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Wait till it comes. <laughs> it's Tom. I'm going to nursery school for the time. Won't he talk to me? No. How, how come? <laughs> oh. I miss Bell's house every day. I, I can't remember. Can't remember me playing? No. Um, I can't remember what it is. I went once to Love Bug yesterday. Was it yesterday? I went to the Love Bug yesterday. How did we get to me? <laughs> Gone now, little gun. 
three guns. Kill stuff with a one. Gun Tommy. That's what they used to call me. <laughs> right. That was uh, that was that was solid gold, man. That really was, yeah. Before we even get into three gun Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you catch that he goes is dad in the tape recorder? Oh yeah. I, I, I try I think I heard something of that. You go, and then and then one sister goes, No way. And then one sister goes, Well, he can hear you right now. That's what I heard. I definitely well, heard that. Yeah, he can hear you, but he's not gonna answer you. I mean, that was another that was another part of it. Yeah, that that is one of the most interesting things to me about these tapes is that I was so young that basically I did not understand the difference between my father and this machine. And, uh, you know, I thought this machine was my dad or or was my dad was inside the machine. I say that at one point. Is he in the machine? Is he in there? That shows that. Children that age just don't have the ability to comprehend that situation. When I was beginning to record at a young age, my folks stuck a tape recorder in my face because I couldn't shut up. And that's how this whole thing began. And then they regretted it immediately afterwards. I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there, you know, maybe this you know, the, this whole experience too might have might have imprinted on me and might have something to do with my you know the work I do in radio now. You know, yeah, because. Dad is in front of you in the board. Yeah, basically, right, exactly. It's like, yeah, I call him the board dad. <laughs> All right, three gun Tommy. Let's let's talk about this. Yeah, do you? I got I got a gun. I got a big gun. It's big a, gun. It's a big kill, gun and a small gun. And a, I got you. I got three and, guns. And and I use them to kill stuff. Yeah, <laughs> is that what I said? You did say that. Oh, okay. I didn't even yeah, you said I use them to kill stuff. Yeah, <laughs> man, kind of like offhandedly, like it was nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, Westfield, that was a rough place. But. And you also had a little accent. That it was definitely pronounced. I was noticing. Yeah. Yeah, the little, like, the New England accent. There was, you were sounding like a little tough kid. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, was, it was pretty great, honestly. Let's, uh, this is some other clips that I found. Okay. I got a mule and her name is Sal. Fifteen miles on the Erie Canal. She's a good old worker and a good old pal. Ah, 
Down by the station early in the morning. See the little puffer bellies all in the low. See the engine driver pull the little handle. Off we go. I I I got a nook um nook and for Mama Tanny. I did. He took my football away from me. Too. I did. I'll see you tomorrow. I play football a lot. Oh, dear, dear. That's a lot to do. Oh, my gosh. What's that like to do? Daddy, Dad, is that when he talked to it? How come it does that when I talk to it? Huh? How come? Um, Daddy, would you like me to come over tomorrow? <coughs> Dad, do you like the recording? <laughs> Dad, I don't know about you. I, uh, I, um, I just kicked the ball. And Eddie went far into the road. Road, 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 road. I kind of wish that kid was uh, hosting my show. <laughs> I was just thinking, <laughs> modulating that voice. <laughs> That's so fantastic. Okay, so uh, of what we heard there, uh, it seemed like you were all in there singing. The, yeah. The majority of this, obviously, is Leslie and Sue because I feel like they had more of an ability to uh, string together uh, sentences and talk about school with a lot more um, uh, lucidity. Yeah. But then uh, and when, when you're up there, you're singing, you're... You're you're talking to the tape recorder, talking to it like I talk to my Alexa, basically. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and and I'm 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 trying to crack up my sisters because that was my thing as a kid was making my sisters laugh. I mean, obviously, I didn't have jokes back then, but I knew what would make them laugh. Oh yeah, childhood laughter and stuff like that. That's all you care about in the moment. Yeah, and know? and singing was also I will you know, just to circle back for that for a second. Uh, a big part of my family and of my growing up, my mom loved to sing. We used to sing in the car on vacations. We used to, you know, we had this whole repertoire of songs that we knew. And that uh, down by the station early in the morning, that was kind of like, it would be my karaoke song today. If it, you know what I mean? It was like, it was my thing. It was my go-to song. Yeah, I, I remember that singing that as a kid. Yeah, I do remember that. I think your sister is playing uh, an instrument as well here, so I want to take a quick Oh, uh, yeah, she might be. Dad, um, this is Sue again, and my clarinet lessons are coming along fine, and now I'm going to play you a couple of songs that I learned. Lovely evening. I 
I'm so surprised that we don't get nearly enough submissions uh, to this show where people are playing their instruments. As a kid, you're saying? Yeah, like my sister did that same thing with her violin. I thought that was wonderful. How old is Susan when she, she was? Well, wait, which tape is this? 68 or 69? 60, that's 69. So she's nine. She's nine in that. Uh, and I, I do distinctly remember her playing the clarinet. She was definitely the most musical of the three of us. I was the theater guy. You were, you I, I, I was, you were three gun Tommy at that Yeah, point. I was three gun Tommy, but then I also, starting at age like seven, I was involved in theater from then on until, you know, now. In music as well. Uh, yeah, music somewhat, yes. I mean, I was involved in the, you know, sort of Boston music scene, but not really as a musician. I mean, it did briefly have a band in high school. But Leslie, well, she played the guitar a little bit, but not nearly as focused as Susan was. And uh, her thing was, mm, she didn't really have, like, as much of a thing as Susan and I did, I think. Her thing was boys, I think. <laughs> From what it sounds like, your mother really gave you guys free reign to explore as many interests as you wanted to. Um, well, sure. I mean, I, I think that that's part of the parental guilt of divorce also. You want your kids to be happy because you feel as though you've taken something away from them. You know, there's nothing wrong with divorce and it happens all the time. I think that parents do go through sort of a guilt phase and some parents end up just spoiling their kids. That never happened to us, I don't but, think... but we did get kind of free reign to explore what we wanted. I went through divorce when I was a lot older. I was 16, or no, I was 15, yeah. uh, and then it was like 15 through 16, and I took it really, really hard. Yeah. I just don't think there is a right way to do it. That's right. the thing. It's sure. a difficult situation. Right. No matter where you are, what age, you could be 35, you could be 50, your parents, you know, yeah. it could, it, it's always going to be hard on you, and you're exactly right. They're, your parents are going to attempt in some way to do something. It's, they're going to change their behavior inherently. Right, and I'm not saying my mom necessarily wouldn't have done that. Like, I, I don't know, because this is the only reality I know. So in retrospect, like, make up, well, Maybe that was had to do with the, the parental guilt or whatever. When was the next time that you ended up seeing your dad? Probably around 1969 or so. He did come to visit us in Westfield. And he had this little yellow MG convertible, which was fucking awesome. I mean, it was total yeah. like midlife crisis mobile and like now I'm newly <laughs> single mobile and, you know, but, uh, but, it, it for me. but it's so funny because we have a picture of me and my sisters all hanging around this convertible and it's 1969 and we're total like little hippie kids. We have kind of like floppy hats and we said things like groovy. I do remember that. And, you know, <laughs> like we were not part of a subculture, but we were definitely through the media kind of really affected by what what was happening Absolutely. In, the, in the culture. I hear different things every time I listen to these. And this time, after my sister played the first clarinet song, she's laughing. And her laugh is like dead on exactly the same laugh as her daughter. Hmm. Like ex exactly. It's, it's spooky. That is really fascinating. Yeah. Do you like being an uncle? I love it. I, lo I think I love it so much more than I would like being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Because you get, you get the best, you know what I mean? Like you get to hang with them, but then you get to give them back. <laughs> yeah, so. that, that makes sense. I think it's interesting listening to your sisters talk. They have sort of an, an, an older world cadence to, to, to their speech. Like, uh, oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, from, yeah. Just from the nature of how they're Well, talking. I mean, I don't know if you, know, in the you noticed in the first clip, but they say, you see, uh, you know, you, you see was like an expression that was used back then, you know. So I was walking down the street, you see, and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and we don't say that anymore. So there are these kind of artifacts from just even from language, you know. That's what I was noticing. There there, it, yeah. it, to me, it seems like I'm watching an older film. 
you know, when right, you're talking right, right. to it, still talking to a child, but if you listen to the way kids talk now, for one, oh yeah, um, the way that they even just talk, kids have a lot more brashness now. I think that they've gotten a lot more leash because they're all so special, wonderful snowflakes. Yeah. So now they, they kind of talk bigger and louder. I'm not trying to say just profanity, but like just the way that they speak to an adult is different. There's, right, a, right, li- right. there's a little bit of everything to blame on that. We think that we can educate our children to be a lot more eloquent at a younger age. And the price of doing that is, is that we make them a lot more savvy about certain things that are going on in our world. Well, I wonder if they're if they're yeah, losing yeah. more of their childhood because they're so educated. They now. absolutely are. They you absolutely know. are because uh, I'm not going to say that they're educated. I'm going to say that they're mediated. I mean, they're you know because honestly, being a being an educator, kids coming into undergrad programs in college are not more educated than they used to be. They are far less educated. They are sort of more world savvy in terms of, you know, they, they see a lot more. They're exposed to a lot more. You know what I mean? Any kid that's on Facebook is going to know what's going on with world politics, for example. So I think that there's a jadedness that happens with kids now that didn't then. I was just chatting on Facebook with, she's an ex, but she's a friend of mine. And she has a, I think, 17-year-old daughter I was like, oh, you know, celebrate that she doesn't fit in because that means she's going to have a creative, interesting, you know, life and she's not going to peak at 18. Right. And she's like, yeah, I get that. And she's like, I do. But at the same time, she's like, kids are just different now and kids are much meaner and they're much more jaded and they are much crueler than they were when we were kids. And they have ways to be pointed about it. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And easier ways to get at people because you're all connected now. Exactly. You yeah. mentioned you're an educator is one of the reasons that you became an educator to show kids that they don't need to listen to anybody if they don't want to and they could listen to themselves and take their own advice well you know it's it's interesting that you say that because after my first semester of teaching on the last day of class i one of the things i i, I sat down and i talked to my class and we were just having a casual conversation and i said look I, I probably might be fired if they knew i was telling you this but listen i know your parents want you to be here i know that society wants you to be here i said but if you don't want to be here drop out, go do something else. You know what I mean? Do something interesting with your life for 10 years and then come back and get your degree if you still want to, if you still need to. I mean, I realized that this is something that is sort of, it's almost mandated at this point. It's forced on your throat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even, even even when I went to school, you know, like a, like a decade ago, it was forced on your throat. I went 20 years without a bachelor's degree because I dropped out of, uh, well, first I dropped out of high school, but then I went back and then I dropped out of college And I did just fine without a bachelor's degree. And in fact, I did fine without a bachelor, more, I did better without a bachelor's degree than I'm doing with a master's (laughs) degree. (laughs) So that's the nature of the world. I mean, it's an important thing, I think. And one of the reasons I became an educator was because I hated the educational system. The most successful guy I know, it's a millionaire, did not go to college. He didn't even think about it. Sure. He just pursued his dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a smart person and you know how to learn on your own, then the only thing that college is really good for is that sort of certification. Because I couldn't teach if I didn't have a master's degree. So I had to finish my bachelor's and I had to get a master's. So that's what I do now. And, and I'm in tremendous debt. And I never would have taken that on myself had I not needed to in order to sort of move to the next step. You know, and my dad, to sort of kind of circle it back to the family course, thing please, here, please, please. he uh, was somebody who went to law school, not because he wanted to be a lawyer, but because that's how he could get his parents to pay for college. They would not pay. My dad wanted to do theater. He wanted to be a creative Your dad wanted person. to be an actor? Yeah. And, and his parents were like, no, you, you, you know, we're, we're not going to pay for that. So you got to go this route. And he did it and he hated it. And he 
always hated it. I mean, I'm not going to say his whole life was miserable, but he ended up sort of stuck with something. It's very hard to walk away from when you're kind of making a good living and, you know, you have this law degree, which you or your parents paid a lot of money for, uh, and you have kids, child support due. It's much harder to sort of, you know, shed that and kind of do what you want. I think about that all the time. Here's somebody who did what his parents told him to do and was miserable and it had an effect for the rest of his life. And I don't think anybody should do that. Absolutely not. I think going forward with all the newest generations that there's definitely less of a you should be doing this in modern Western culture, I would say. Yeah. I would still say, you know, a lot of Eastern families, a lot, you know, have a big focus on being a doctor and things like that and a lawyer sometimes still. But sure, sure. Yeah. Like my parents, when I was growing up, um, I mean, they they sort of were happy with anything I was doing as long as I was safe. And healthy, you know, if I wanted to be a janitor, they wouldn't be like ecstatic about it, but they would accept it. I was an only child and I wish that they had pushed me harder. I wish that they had not necessarily said you should do this, but that we had really, we have really high hopes for you and, you know, or like coming to me and say that this isn't what you should be doing or you're not living up to your potential. They never said that to me once. Teachers said it to me constantly. Yeah. Well, what was interesting with me was that my dad was the one when I was younger, it really encouraged my theater, I think, because of his history with it. And my mom was always the one that was scared that I was going to kind of go into, you know, being an artist or being a performer because she wanted a better life for me. And uh, artists are not known for, you know, making a jillion dollars or a living uh, or a living for that matter right? or having a roof over their heads. So but that kind of flip as time went on and my mom ended up being the one of being like really supportive of what I wanted to do because it was making me happy. I've always been much more interested in sort of small theater type of things where you can like hear the dirt under, you know, an actor's shoe. Uh, And I think he wanted me to be more successful. This is just my feeling anyway. And he became less and less supportive of what I was doing as time went on. So it was this interesting, um, you know, sort of, you know, uh, flip that happened between my mom and my dad. Well, I bet he was, again, I think you're right that he was projecting his own, you know, feelings of, of his own life. Sure. And then maybe... The, the fact that he was very excited that you did pursue what he wanted. Right. And then the fact that you didn't... I didn't per- do it the same way he would have done you it. Didn't, yeah. You didn't pursue yeah. the success. You were just happy doing right. it. Right, And then right, I know right. so many people the same way where they go, yeah, I'm not in this for, you know, to make the money. Yeah. I'm in it because I love it. Yeah. Let's take a listen to some last clips before okay. we wrap up here. All right. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was four... I was not much more. When I was five, I was just alive. When I was... Now I'm six. I'm as clever as clever. I think I'll say six forever and ever. On Children's Day, all the Sunday schools went to sing up in the church. And, of course, this is silly to tell, but I will tell. Tommy was... When we had a a little movie there, Tommy went up and waved his hand up there, and he kept on um, getting up and saying hi to me because I was in the the, um, row in back of him when we were sitting in the church. And um, he kept on being noisy, and he was going out of his seat and and everything. He was going all over the place. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Three, me- meta- metaphor, maybe. Three-gun Tommy, uh, man. You can't keep a uh, leash on no, this kid. No, no, totally. I mean, it, you know, and, and honestly, I listened to that, and I'm like, you know, that makes total sense, you know, in terms of, like, the kind of rebellious teenager that I was. And, you know, I'm, I'm disrupting in church. I mean, you know, it's like... <laughs> three-gun Tommy. I, I, three-gun Tommy does not give a fuck. <laughs> I, 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 Waving you. at your sister. Hey, how you doing, sis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, stop! <laughs> Front row, represent! <laughs> I, I do find it compelling because, you know, especially after the conversations we've been having, I mean, considering everything that you do and have done in your life thus far, Tom, there is uh, clearly a, a metaphor in there of the fact that you never were really able to sit still and you couldn't uh, just sit in one place. You always right. had to do multiple things. Yeah. A- as a fellow multi-talented person, emphasis more on the multi than the talented. Um, <laughs> uh, come on. <laughs> no, we- we- we've made a clue we've, that... We've already established that he's the self-deprecating one. <laughs> all right, all right. No, 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 but for real. I wear a lot of different hats, and so, uh, granted, it seems like you definitely have a lot of things that you do. More importantly, you give 100% to everything that you do. Uh, yeah, well, I try I try to, yeah. The multi-interest thing is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. You know, uh, I had a girlfriend once who got really frustrated that I wasn't sort of progressing further in my career when I was at like, tw- I worked 20 years in corporate. And she said to me, in frustration, she said, your problem isn't that you don't have any interests. Your problem is you have too many interests, you know, <laughs> and, and that she was frustrated that I was, you know, I, I did all these different projects and that I couldn't focus on one thing singularly. And I feel like with Radio Free Brooklyn, I'm getting better at that. I'm kind of putting everything into this one bucket. But at the same time, this one bucket has like a thousand other buckets. You know, I mean, I do a lot here. So yeah. it kind of satisfies both. It kind of satisfies that singular interest thing and also the the, the multiple interests. But you're getting better at delegating. You're, you're growing. I, I'm, getting, I'm getting better at that. There's the other thing is I'm a total control freak about my projects. And it's very, very hard for me to give up control. So I'm getting better, yeah. You have, uh, what, like two... Three different shows on Radio Free Brooklyn. Frequency Theory, I know, and Brooklyn Bandstand. Uh, yeah, no, I had a third one. I had the sad show, but uh, I actually uh, had to give that up because it was too it was too much. It was too, too sad? sad? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't, no. It wasn't too sad. It was I, I couldn't fit it all in, you know? I couldn't run the station and have three shows. It was just no, there was not enough hours in the day. So Wednesdays at 4 p.m., you're here doing the Brooklyn Bandstand, and then Thursday, you're here at 8 p.m. doing Frequency Theory. That's, uh, that's correct. Tell, tell us a little bit. Uh, well, Brooklyn Bandstand, we know because Rob Pritchard does the Thursday edition right after us. Frequency Theory is not necessarily like Brooklyn Bandstand per se. No. There are, is there any local music at all played on that? or is uh, it... no, Some, yes. Uh, some, you know, because I do Brooklyn Bandstand, and sometimes I will, in my research, for because I research all the bands in Brooklyn Bandstand every week, and when I find one either that's not local or that is local but has some music that would be really great for kind of the the format of frequency theory, then I'll put that into I'll, I'll broadcast that also. Explain what the frequency. Theory well, I mean, it's interesting. It's been a really weird evolution because it started as completely freeform. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and that's the point of the show is that it is a totally open sandbox. But what happened is that I started, you know, I started, and I would go through phases of different kinds of music, and I started, started this, you know, went into this kind of like acid jazz uh, phase, kind of mixed with sort of, you know, post-punk and, and hip-hop. Hey, we all got my phases. And, yeah, and, uh, and, that, I <laughs> and so, and that, and that started doing really, not, not necessarily in terms of live listens, but more in secondary markets, like Mixcloud started doing really, really well. I started developing an audience for that particular genre. Cool. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, and, and, 
in a way I feel like, oh, now I'm stuck with the genre because I don't want to lose all these listeners. But at the same time, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being that focused and, and sort of playing with, within that sort of more tightly constrained format. So I'm, I'm kind of happy with where it's going it, right now. If you get the same way, once you find a little niche, you don't want to let go of it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Once you built it up, you like that. You like having exactly, that to fall back but, on. Exactly. But that's also why I'm excited about these uh, potluck dinners because I'm going to sign up for one or two of those so I can sort of do, you know, I can go, I can play again. You know what I mean? I can be a little bit more more free with my uh with what i'm doing and that's uh oh what 7 p.m every wednesday every night? friday every friday starting in season five yeah got it yeah so as i said be- with the new season they will be now fridays at 7 p.m here on radio free brooklyn lon is not our scheduler i am not so everyone out there now I am, I am not. <laughs> he's not in charge of the schedule. there's so much programming <laughs> there's so much programming so many shows i mean gosh i i my, my first time in the studio was doing a karaoke radio show shout out to angelica and amanda at empty orchestra Woo. so you know uh i i have a lot of people to thank for me being in this this high chair that i'm in right now and you know you're one of them, Tom. And you're if not if not the one. Uh, you and Robert uh, believed in us, I should say. Uh, Jimmy came in at the last minute to totally put the icing on the cake, a cake that was uh, in need of uh, much sweetening, much much sweetening. <laughs> well, baking metaphors. And also, I mean, the other thing is you got you had a great title, and and don't discount the importance of that. I mean, it really really is important. The kind of outward facing part of your show which is your title and you know your your logo or weird your logo is awesome also logo shout out to christina roman it's great and i've been experiencing with uh, experimenting with different graphics for because i do a different graphic for every episode of frequency theory and like i've also landed on a graphic that works a graphic style that works and um you know it's interesting people respond i get more more listens when i do colorful psychedelic images than when i do sort of you know more plain people have a very specific taste and you can you can learn it i do a lot of photography now yeah i'm learning on instagram what people like what they respond to yeah they like depth they love shots if they can see really far in the distance it's a right 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 go crazy over it and i'm always thinking i like that but i didn't know that's what the people want yeah 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 tom thank you so much for contributing this audio today oh of course spectacular and a perfect perfect note to kick off season five yeah thank you for coming out it was really fun to to hear it again and to be able to talk about it as well it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the air man tom tenney radio free brooklyn don lafontaine (laughs) here in the studio with us and uh on that note uh thanks for joining us here on this hour of lost and rewound and if you were inspired like tom was to come in with his audio don't hesitate reach out to us at our new email address, which is lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Stay tuned for Mr. Rob Pritchard with Brooklyn Bandstand. Coming right up. Thank you guys again for listening. My name is Jimmy. And I am Alon. Again, you're listening to uh, Lost and Rewound here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn.